Are you fasting to be seen or to come closer to God? Because you can't do both. Hi everyone, welcome back to another message from Elevate Retake. Glad that you have joined us and continued our series here entitled Righteousness by Heart. Today's message is going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, if you want to follow along with Pastor Michael. And the title is, How Do We Fast? The very essence of fasting is the consciousness of the personal need for doing so. It's where we recognize our deficiencies. I'll let Pastor Michael do the rest of the explaining in this fantastic message. Here's Pastor Michael. Welcome home. There's always room for one more. So here's where we are. Righteousness by heart. It's a series that we've been doing for the past several weeks. It stems from originally covering the Beatitudes in a mini evangelistic series that we did called Infinite Hope. And we've just been walking through the Sermon from the Mount of Blessing, where Jesus declares what the kingdom is all about. He says, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's his, his magnum opus. It's his doctoral dissertation. This is what my kingdom is about. And I would argue and I would present to you today that the kingdom of God is about righteousness by heart. It's a crassus of faith and works combined together that our faith in Jesus produces a good work in us and transforms our hearts. It's to this exploration of the Sermon on the Mount that we turn to today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 16 through 18. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 16. And our engaged question I want you to think about this morning. Rebecca mentioned it a moment ago. How do we fast? How do we fast? As you're turning in your scriptures, let's seek the God of scripture to sit down beside us as we open up his word today. Father in heaven, we thank you, we praise you, for you are good, you are wise, and you are glorious. God, thank you for Rebecca's example, thank you for working in her life, and encouraging us on through her. And as we turn to scripture this morning, as we look at the words of Jesus, and his description of what you are all about, and what your kingdom is all about, God, may you sit down right beside us, may your Holy Spirit be felt in this place that we would understand how we would leave this place changed and how this setting aside a seventh day transforms the rest of the week. God, we leave that in your hands and we look forward to seeing you soon. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, we'll be there in a moment. Jesus says, we, we looked a couple weeks ago, when you give, we talked about when you pray and now when you fast. These are three disciplines that are assumed as part of the Christian life. They're not requirements. They're not in the, the Ten Commandments of thou shalt pray, thou shalt give, and thou shalt fast. No, because they are more essential than that. They're essential to discipleship and to, to forming your life after God. Fasting is not a law or a requirement, but it is a discipline. And it is to that we turn this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that this is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then 
No one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. It's three verses. Very simple, right? Very plain. Don't be like the hypocrites. This is the way that you should fast. In fasting, it, it was easy to talk about prayer. It's easy to talk about giving because those things are, are, are integral to our lives. We practice them on a regular basis, but fasting is a little bit more difficult to talk about. Our culture is not built to help us fast regularly. We don't live in a society or a culture that brings fasting to the forefront. Our culture thrives on satiation and consumerism. We must always be full. And if it's available, I must consume it. And you say, no, 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 that's not me. Let's go to a, a Mexican restaurant real quick. Chips and salsa. If it's available, it must be consumed, right? And then you get your big uh, fajita or enchilada plate in front of you and you say, where is this going to fit? We'll ask questions later, right? There's many uh, subsections of our culture in, in the United States. Uh, Catholicism practices Lent. It's a, a month of setting aside something. Uh, Islam has, has Ramadan. General Christianity, at least in, in within Seventh-day Adventism itself, there's not a, a regular kind of corporate experience of fasting. It's one of the ones that we, we set to the side. It's a little bit more difficult to understand. I uh, remember a, a few years ago, I was, I was in college, uh, we had a, a field school of evangelism, which means that for part of our coursework, we would travel to where an evangelist was having a, a series of meetings. Um, and we got to go down to San Antonio right before the uh, Seventh-day Adventist World Church meeting there. Um, it was uh, five, six years ago. And we were working on a series of meetings for a prominent evangelist. And my buddy Austin and I were roommates and we were uh, visiting partners and we're down there and we're just like in the throes. We're, we're going out, knocking on doors. And, and, and meeting with people and we're helping put on the meetings. And about a week in, we said, hey, we need to, we need to focus a little bit more. We need to be kind of honed in on what we're doing. And maybe there's something that we can set aside that will, that will allow us to have a little bit more space to serve God well in this capacity. We said, hey, why don't we, why don't we try fasting? Why don't we try just going without food for a day? Remember, we're college students, okay? And so, we say, I don't, I think it was Tuesdays. We were going to set Tuesdays aside and from, and we did it. We, we, we were intense about it. We said, okay, Monday evening, that's going to be our last supper. And then our next meal will be Wednesday morning. So for all of Tuesday, just no food. We'll drink some juice and like those kinds of things. And I remember going through that experience. I learned a lot. I learned that college students can get really, really hungry. <laughs> And two o'clock in the afternoon, we're driving around in San Antonio making visits and you see Taco Bell and you see Chipotle and you see, uh, you know, McDonald's, whatever. It's like, oh, there's food. You're, you're driving by something and you smell something. It's like, oh, it smells so good. Maybe I can get some caloric intake just from the smell. But what I learned through that experience, we did it for four or five weeks, is that hunger for a day reminded me of my need for Jesus. That setting aside something that made me comfortable, that I didn't have to think about it. My, my stomach was, was always good to, to let my stomach rumble. And that every rumbling, every moment, every pang of hun hunger was a reminder that it's not just the food that's keeping me alive. It's Jesus himself. 
So how do we understand fasting, right? We, we've looked at this passage. I've shared with you a story. and We've talked about the challenges that face our current culture in time in regards to fasting. Jesus kind of assumes, don't do it this way, but do it this way. Well, what is the essence of fasting? Today, I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. Normally, we're like, we're hovering in the text and we're right there in Matthew chapter 6 and we're expositing upon it. But in order to get there, we've got to go back almost to the beginning. Because you see, Scripture is a united story that points towards Jesus. It's not some proof text or reference book that we kind of open it up and say like, ah, here's my word for today. Got it. Great. Back on the shelf. Or I've got this really doctrinal question that I need to look at. Okay, yep, all right, that text makes sense. I put it back on the shelf. This book that we read and we study points towards Jesus. And there's three characters I want to look at with you today very briefly and then draw some connections to the passage of intent today. So the first instance of fasting in Scripture There's a hermeneutical principle that if you don't understand something, you go back to the first time that it's mentioned in that body of work. The first time that fasting is mentioned in scripture is in Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. I want to read it for you. Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And in all that time, he ate no bread and drank no water. And the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the 10 commandments on the stone tablets. The first instance of fasting is Moses on Mount Sinai spending 40 days drinking no water, eating no bread. First instance of scripture of somebody fasting. This is the second time that he's receiving the tablets. You'll remember the first time he came back down, there's the the golden calf and he's, ah, you guys are so frustrating to me. God calls him back up on Mount Sinai and says, I need you to love on this people. And Moses is pleading on behalf of the people, God, don't, don't, don't smite them because of this. God says, all right, here's the 10 commandments again. I've got some other things that I need you to write down. And for 40 days, Moses is up on top of that mountain, not relying on bread and water for sustenance, but relying on the very presence of Jesus. He's leading a very obnoxious group of people, but God is giving him the purpose that they are to live out that they're a kingdom and a people set aside, that they're headed towards a promised land and God is revealing to Moses a purpose and a mission. Fast forward several hundred years to 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah has just been on top of Mount Carmel. It's been the great showdown. Do we worship Baal or do we worship God? And they set up this uh, kind of scenario that the God that brings fire down from heaven is the God that we will worship. So the prophets of Baal spend all day yelling at the top of their lungs and, and cutting themselves. And they've got the altar out and they say, Baal, won't you bring fire down from heaven? And not a peep is heard. And Elijah's kind of standing back and he's saying like, Baal's probably in the bathroom. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe you should shout a little bit louder so that he can hear you. And then Elijah dumps a whole bunch of water on that altar. And he prays a simple prayer and fire comes down from heaven and the altar is burned up and even the water. And then he goes and single-handedly slays all of the prophets of Baal. And he's on the run. Jezebel's after him. There's a death threat on his back and he goes to the wilderness. He's suicidal. He wants God to take his life and he's got no place else to turn. And God comes to him and provides for him a little bit of food and a little bit of bread and he takes a nap. 
Never underestimate the power of a little bit of food and a nap to get your mind back on track, okay? Just food for thought today, no pun intended. That one was intended. That food sustained Elijah for 40 days, and he would then travel to Mount Sinai, the same mount that, he, that Moses was on that received the Ten Commandments. And it's there after he's living. He had his meal. 40 days later, he's on Mount Sinai, and that's the story of where the fire comes and the wind comes and the rain comes, and God is in none of them, but God is in the still, small voice and in the whisper. In Elijah's fast from food, he is sustained by the presence of God. And it's God and on Mount Sinai, again, revealing a purpose and a mission for Elijah. How God has not failed and there are 7,000 others who have not bent the knee to Baal. Elijah's like, I'm the only guy. And God's like, hold on, let's not get too conceited about this, all right? There's still some others who are serving me. 1 Kings 19, verse 8, he got up, ate, drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Fast forward several more hundred years. There's this guy by the name of Jesus. Have you heard of him? He's pretty cool. I invite you to, to look him up. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. They read this way. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. And during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was baptized. You got the dove descending from heaven. God the father saying, this is my beloved son. And the Spirit takes Jesus and says, you need to go to the wilderness. And it's in that wilderness that he has no food, he has no water. It's 40 days, and it looks like a place of weakness. The wilderness looks like the place where you're deserted, where you've got nothing going on. But for Jesus, it was a place of incredible strength. Those 40 days, he relied not on physical sustenance, but on the sustenance of the Spirit. And it was only after those 40 days that he was ready to face the devil, and his temptations. And imagine how the devil frames it, right? God has just said, you are my beloved son. And the first thing the devil says to Jesus is, if you are the son of God, calling into question Jesus' identity. He says, no, 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 I'm not even going to entertain that because you don't know where my food comes from. People do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. God was revealing his mission and purpose to Jesus in that wilderness. And Jesus remained alive because he was totally dependent on the Father for his support. By the way, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Let's put it this way. And when you fast, oops, there we go, <laughs> that one. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Hearkening back to where the Israelites are in the middle of that wilderness and God is providing that manna, that what is it, the, the food, the sustenance that doesn't make sense, but it gives them life and it sustains them. It's our look at scripture. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. 
we can learn from these passages that fasting is intentionally abstaining from nourishment in the presence of God. It's setting aside what would normally sustain you and saying, God, I I need to to focus in on you. Now, for health reasons, a 40-day fast with no food and water, like, you gotta be in the spirit on that one, okay? We gotta pull the principle out of this one. Fasting is saying, God is all that I need. It's protesting the consumerism of the American West, that we are more than what we consume. Maybe we need to make some space for God to come in. So we come back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. And when you fast, the one I tried to read a moment ago, they tried to trick me, it's okay. Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth that that is the only reward they will ever get. Do you hear the echoes? For those of you who have been with us the past three weeks, are you listening to the podcast or watching online? Jesus has been echoing. If you go into a spiritual discipline looking for someone to pat you on the back, then that's the reward that you are going to get. You will get nothing out of that discipline if that's what you're going in to do. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. There was a practice for the religious elite. There was a particular fast that would fall on market day and the religious elite would make themselves look hyper disheveled. They would put a certain type of makeup on their face that would kind of hew in and make their, their cheekbones look like they're really inside. And they would walk around and tell everyone that they had been fasting and make it this public spectacle. If they were alive today, perhaps they would be making the Snapchat or TikTok filter that would just make you look really bad. I know there's like ones that make you look good, I guess. This one would just like totally make you look emaciated and just broken. People are calling and be like, are you okay? It's like, yes, yes, yes. Thank you for asking. I'm fasting. You see, it's easier to look pious than it is to be pious. We can put on the clothes. We can do the song and dance. We can act it out. But a heart that is turned towards Jesus, it takes a little bit more intentionality. Heart religion is the crucial element, not outward show. Are you fasting to be seen or to come closer to God? Because you can't do both. You will either be seen or you will come closer to God. Take your pick. Jesus continues on, verses 17 and 18 of Matthew chapter 6. But when you fast comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. I like how Dallas Willard uh, paraphrases this particular passage. He puts it this way. Take a shower and fix yourself up. Brush your teeth, put on lotion and cologne and nice clothing so that others won't know you are fasting. Your father who is in secret will see your hidden heart and enrich your life. Fasting is an incredibly personal experience. Moses was alone, Elijah was alone, and Jesus was alone. It's between you and God. And when you're being with Jesus, be normal. It's okay to live out your life. Nobody needs to know about it. Have accountability if that's what you need. But it's not something to parade around before other people. You see, in all of these stories, the needs of the body were not fulfilled because the desires of the spirit were so fully met. Fasting is about recognizing our need for God. It's saying, I've got nothing left. I'm at the end of the rope. 
I need a reminder in my life that I am totally and unequivocally serving God and he's the one that's giving me sustenance in my life. Remember a few years ago, we were on a road trip, go see my great grandma up in uh, Northwestern Washington. And I love visiting great grandma's house because great grandma could cook. You have a great grandma like that or a grandma, right? And we had, we had told her when we were coming, and I, I think we had said, hey, we're going to be there for dinner. And in the Pacific Northwest, and to her, there's a difference between dinner and lunch or supper. And so what we had intended to say is we will be there for the five o'clock meal, the meal at, at, at the end of the day. And what she had heard is that we would be there for the noon meal, because dinner is the noon meal and supper is the evening meal. Some of you have families that roll that way. Lunch is lunch for me and dinner is dinner. But, you know, there's a, there's a miscommunication. So on our way up, we're about an hour and a half out, and we say, it's, it's around the noon time. We say, let's stop for lunch. It had been a long road trip. I was with my parents as younger at the time. And it, let's, let's stop for lunch. And so we stopped. We stopped on the road at a fast food restaurant. And we, 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 got our, we got our meal, and we're diving into it. We're devouring it. It's just so good, and we get a call. And grandma says, where are you? Dinner is ready. And I stopped chewing because I realized I am full and the meal that my great grandmother intended for us to meet is ready. So we quickly finish up and, and we drive the, we say we're only like 45 minutes away and we cook it up I-5 to her house and we sit down for a midday meal with our stomachs full. And oh, do I wish I could have had a do-over on that day, right? You go to grandma's house, you want to, your stomach, you, need, you want that to be empty. You want, you want to really enjoy the food. I want a do-over on that day because I didn't make space for my grandmother's meal. We went back the next year and we made sure to clarify which meal that we were coming for. But I think the same thing applies to our spiritual life. Fasting makes space for us to fully appreciate the presence of God. I could not fully appreciate my grandmother's cooking because my stomach was already full. I, I had, and it was junk. It was fast food. Like, why are we doing this? We're going to go get some good cooking from my great-grandmother. Why? Why are we doing this? Fasting makes space for us to fully appreciate the presence and the goodness of God. It makes us step back. It draws us closer into the heart of God. We can seek nourishment from any source, but are we seeking nourishment from the heart of God? Because we can have the goodness of God, the graciousness of God, the praise, any of God's character, the love of God on tap to nourish us at any time. And are we filling our lives with so much extra junk that there's no space for that to make us fill? God is directly available to nourish, sustain, and renew our souls if we'd only take some time to recognize our need and make space for him. And maybe that's you this morning, that you sat down at your grandmother's table with a full stomach. You weren't able to process the good food that was in front of you. Maybe that's you this morning here at church that you've been filled with something else this week and it's difficult to hold on to what God is trying to speak into your heart because there's no room. It's starting to come back up. The acid reflux, it's hitting there. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've been full of other things and it's time for you to take a step back 
and to make a little bit of space in your life for God to work. So here's an invitation for you this morning. I would invite you this week, pick a day of the week, from sundown the evening before to sundown the next evening to fast from something. You can fast from food. That's kind of an obvious one that we talk about fasting, right? There, maybe food's not your thing. For health reasons, for whatever it is, don't guilt trip because like, you need food. It's okay. Maybe you need to fast from consuming media for 24 hours. Your mind has been filled with so much other things that there's, there's no space for, for God to whisper into. Maybe you need to take, take a step back from that. Or maybe there's something else in your life, a third way, something that you're like, this is taking over and it's controlling my life right now and I need to take a step back. I would invite you this week for 24 hours to set that thing aside, food, media, or something else of your choice. Don't tell anybody about it. I'm not going to be asking you about it next week. We're not going to have testimonies on the screen and pat each other on the back because like, woohoo, look at all the people that fasted. This is between you and God. And it's a place for you to make space for him to fill you because he's ready and willing. My grandma was ready and willing. That food was ready. We walked into the house and sat down and started eating. If only we had known what time it was going to be at. God wants to do the same thing for your life. Don't beat yourself up if it's not a regular habit for you. Don't beat yourself up if you do it this week and don't do it for another seven years. In fact, there's no prescription in scripture of, of how long, how we should fast and what we should fast from. The purpose of fasting is that we can step back from the consumerism, from the things that make us full, the, the, just the junk in life and give ourselves a reminder that the only way we live and breathe the only way that we have sustenance is through the word of Jesus Christ. And when we turn to Jesus, when we make space for those words to transform our hearts, we get a little bit closer, we step a little bit nearer righteousness by heart. So, how will you fast? Thanks so much again for listening to this message from Elevate Retake. Make sure to stay tuned for the Retake conversation dropping in your feed this week. We always unpack the message from a different point of view with different people in studio, so I'd encourage you to stay tuned for that. We hope you gained a better understanding of maybe what it means to fast and how important it can be. You can find us on Instagram at Elevate Retake, and we'd love for you to leave us a voice message over on the Anchor app. That link is in the description. My name is Kelvin. We'll see you next time.